Hey everyone, and welcome to SermonCast, a Cheyenne Hills podcast where you can find the message portion of our services each week. We hope this gives you the opportunity to better digest the teaching portion of our services, whether listening to them again or hearing them for the first time. My name is Carly. I'm, I'm 39 years old. I have lived in Cheyenne most of my life. I was in the military for a little while, and then uh, um, I came home when my kids were little, and then my husband and I got married, and he was in the military, so we went back to California. So our youngest daughter was born in California, and um, when she was born in California, she was born really sick. She had a really rare heart defect that affected her lungs. I think she was about eight months old when she had to have her open heart surgery. And uh, when we found out that the open heart surgery failed, I think that was kind of when things changed all the way around for, for everybody, not just myself, but my whole family. Myself, her, and my mom spent more time at the children's hospital than we did at home. And so Chad was alone with the kids and you know, was basically like a single dad. And, and so he was working, you know, sometimes two, three, four jobs at a time. And that takes a toll on somebody. And the sicker she got, the harder it got on him. And then the harder it got on, on all of us too. I have always believed in God. Um, I've always had a relationship God, but we didn't really attend church. I attended church when I was younger. You know, I would pray to him in my head and, and stuff like that. But as an adult, didn't really go. Honestly, it didn't, that didn't change until Chad quit drinking. 19 days before Katie passed away. Um, it was July 5th, so it was the day after 4th of July. She passed out at my mom's house and went unresponsive, um, and it was different than what she'd done in the past. Two months later, she ended up not being able to come off the ventilator, and, uh, we lost her um, because her lungs just, they quit working. And I would pray very often, you know, just if you could heal her and, and make her healthy again and be able to give her the life that she deserves because she, she went through so much in her short life. And I think that's why I got so angry because to me, I didn't see it as he healed her. I, I saw it as he took her from and I couldn't I couldn't let go of that anger I couldn't see that the anger was making things worse you know two days before she was before she passed away we had her baptized and we knew she believed in God and we knew she she knew that God loved her but We'd already been told at that point that we were gonna have to take her off of life support, and so I was angry, I didn't care. But I wanted to make sure that my daughter was saved and that she was gonna go to heaven. But I still felt like God let me down. So two years I held on to it where it was, you know, Chad would every single, every single weekend, do you wanna go to church with me? Do you want to go to celebrate recovery with me every Friday, every Sunday? And I would tell him, no, that's your thing. I'm not going. I'm angry. I, I don't want to go with you. And finally, um, I was kindly told that I should support my husband. <laughs> and uh, so I started going to celebrate recovery. 
and I started realizing, wait a second, I have I have some hurts, I have some habits, and I have some hangups, and this anger thing is an issue, and this resentment with God with is an issue, and it was like a light bulb. It was like God just kicked down this door, and He said to me, "Come back to me," and you know, was like, "Look at me and see me," and I finally had to face that truth and realize I'm in line to myself. And the truth was that God was always there for me, and He was always there for her. All the suffering, He was with her. He kept her safe through those moments. He got her through every single one of the surgeries. He got her through the lung transplant. He got her through those final moments. Once I was able to let go of those lies and to grasp all of that truth and and it, it was like my whole life changed you know I was able to see things in a whole different light and so I think when she passed away it was like what was what was the purpose I realize now that there's a bigger purpose right she touched so many people and her story is huge it's amazing for me to see I couldn't see it then. I needed the time to be able to see the story that God laid out before me. Once I put God at the center of everything and not everything at the center, okay? Once God was at the center, everything changed. Things that I would do with Katie before that would cause me to break down in tears, I can find joy in now. I can look at pictures of her and rejoice in it I have sad days still. I'm always gonna have sad days because she was my daughter. I'm gonna miss her immensely. But I also know that I am gonna see her in heaven again too. And that's what I look forward to. Wow. You know, Carly and Chad's story is the categories of stories that is probably the hardest of of any of the why questions that I, I think a, a parent could ever deal with, we in human experience could ever deal with. And yet then when you see the kind of strength that Chad and she are both living in, it's the most amazing thing. You think only God could do that to change and give strength in the midst of and give hope and peace and perspective that you saw there. And so, Carly, thank you both, Chad, for sharing your, your life with us and, and maybe giving us a little picture and a springboard into um, God's truth that maybe will inspire others in a, in a huge way as well. So, you know, I, I think what their story does, and it begs the question, do you ever have circumstances that, in your life that you can't explain? I know I, I have circumstances that I, I've had questions why? How, how did it work out this way? I, there's things that you just can't completely explain this side of, of the curtain, if you will. And it's hard and it's difficult. The questions that sometimes cause us to question God. Questions that sometimes cause us to turn away from God. Questions that kind of have circumstances that cause questions that uh, wonder if we actually really matter at all to God. I don't know where you are on that. I would imagine that most of you have had some kind of experience with a why question. I know I have. I'm going to talk a little bit about a why question. It took 25 years to get the answer to. 
Sometimes we never get those answers. I don't, I don't, sometimes I think that sometimes we won't get that answer that, that we really want until we're on the other side of the, in, in glory. On this side, that's the hard part. Because on this side is where we have to deal. Try to see the love of God through our circumstances. About a week before Jesus came to Bethany to raise Lazarus from the dead, he was spending his time with his disciples, and they were way up north in an area called Dan, the northern end of Israel today, north of the Sea of Galilee, in a place called Caesarea Philippi. In the old days, it was called Pan. It's where the god Pan, or multiple gods, were, were worshipped in this particular area. By the way, it's a beautiful area. We have a picture of it. Uh, when we go on a trip to Israel, we always go up to this place called Caesarea Philippi. They changed the name after the Romans came in, and Caesar kind of put his fingerprint on everything. So that's why everything kind of has a Caesar sound to it. So this is Caesarea, or Caesar's Philippi, or if you will. It was changed to that name. But this was a place where this area worshipped this god, Pan. And, and this is a beautiful area, but you can see the water kind of cascading down. And that's a natural cascading of the water. Um, and it kind of goes into a pool, and then it goes on down, and actually this stream is one of the main streams that feeds into the Sea of Galilee. The hole, the big hole back there, is the, what the gates of Lindor or gates of hell. It's the place where the water would kind of come up and down, and then it would kind of, it would gush out from underneath that rock, and it would, would uh, cascade down. Now, in pagan, um, Worship. One of, there's many things that happen. Uh, one of those things would be um, uh, uh, temple prostitution. And the, all the idolatry, all the prostitution, and even the sacrificial system that took place in that area and that day was to appease their God. In this particular case, it would be Pan. In other places of Israel, you remember the Baal or Baal gods, right? And then what they're trying to do is appease that God so that they would... There would be fertility in the land. There would be the rains would come. There would be the crops would grow. The grass would grow. And so they believed that you had to do these things to appease this God. So Jesus took his disciples to this place. Now, in Jesus' day, it probably looked like this next slide or a little bit more like this next slide because you can see there's, uh, there's temples there. Inside of these temples would be prostitution, would be bestiality, be uh, sometimes if the things got real desperate, I think, so the way I understand it, they would actually throw uh, humans down into that water and then in, in babies. And, um, and if it was one or the other, if there's blood that came out through that water that we saw earlier, then it was accepted or it was rejected. I can't remember which way it is. But anyway, a gruesome sight, this Baal or Pan or worshiping other gods. And this was what was prevalent in that particular day. Certainly in the uh, 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 Israel, in the Greek culture, transferred over to the Roman culture, this would be that paganism and, and, uh, and how this was worshipped. And so you can see, there's, there's actually there's these two, but actually this whole rock all the way around, there's different kinds of places where temples were and different ways that people came from all around to worship this pagan uh, god, uh, pagan idolatry kind of god worship. Um, 
I did some research in this. Uh, the Aztecs had this human sacrifice as well. Actually, there was all over the world, there was, there was different kinds of worshiping a god and trying to appease a god. The Aztecs actually, there was believed that they didn't uh, have any human sacrifice. And later, this is actually from the History Channel. So that would be a source that I would say that would downplay this, but they're the ones that suggested it. And I read right out of there where they believed that there was uh, human sacrifice and they had a certain way of of uh, sacrificing that human while the heart was still beating, believing that their God needed to have that heart beating while that the body would be d- deceased and discarded. Um, very gruesome, very, uh, but, but uh, very disturbing. But they believe that this is what kept the, the sun from uh, coming up and going down and keeping the seasons going. So they felt like they needed to do these things. This was that, this was that pagan worship that so many times I've heard people say that I don't like that Old Testament God because he, he caused, you know, the Jews or the Israelites or whatever to wipe out these people that were worshiping like this. I can just tell you, and I'm going to tell you a couple more times today, that, that God is, is just in what he does. And I would imagine, we see examples of this even in the Old Testament, that God probably sent a a Jonah type, to warn the people, you continue to do this, these are the things that are going to happen. We know that happened in Nineveh. In Nineveh, the Ninevites bowed down and worshiped God. They repented. But a lot of times people look at the Old Testament and say, well, I don't like that Old Testament God. Just know this. Be careful before you put God on the stand because God is love. God is good. God is just. We may not fully understand it, but don't forget that God is in heaven. We are on earth. God is eternal. We're temporal. He is the potter. We're the clay. And I think we need to keep those things in mind. When we put God, God's word above everything else, we say, okay, I'm, even though I don't fully understand it, and even though sometimes my circumstances are such that it's really, really difficult to hold up his truth, like one we just saw on the screen. But I just loved, I loved how Carly did this. And I hope, I wish this could go around the planet. I wish this could go viral somehow, Carly. Uh, when you said, when you were just, you said, Jesus came and kicked that, God came and kicked that door down and said, look at me. I, that's so moving to me. I wish everybody could, I know Jesus would want that. He said, just to look at me. I tell you I'm good. Yes, I know your circumstances are not. This world is not, but, but God is good. I know you're not falling into a loving situation right now. In fact, there's a lot of hate and a lot of evil in this world right now, but, but I am love, and I am good, and I am just. And I'm in heaven, and you are on earth, and I know you can't see everything now, but trust me. That's, those are the kinds of things that I think you have to have if you're going to try to live above the fray in this world. Here's some, some things. We're, we're living in a crazy world right now. A lot of misinformation about, uh, about what the church believes, a lot of, a lot of anger about um, what we believe about Roe v. Wade and it being overturned and all these things. And I don't, I don't want to touch the political stuff. I don't even want to touch the legal reasons. I just want to try to say okay, this, is a, this is a lens that, that I look through for several things. And I think the evangelical church looks through this lens for several things. And here's one of them that... I'm just going to start with this one, pro-Israel. 
The reason I'm pro-Israel is not because I believe the Jews are more righteous than the Palestinians. Would never, not, even, not even the discussion. The reason that I or others with my view are pro-Israel is because God said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And down through the ages, we've seen countries and people groups that have cursed or blessed Israel, and that has been true of them. Their blessing or their cursing rises and falls on their, the way they deal with Israel. Is it, if, the Bible says if, if Israel's uh, failings got blessings for the Gentiles, how much will the fulfillment be but life and peace for all? So it's a, it's a part of God's truth that you have to decide if you're going to believe it or not. You can believe man's view of, of Israel and them being back in the land, or you can say this is what God's view of Israel and being back in the land. It's, it's one of those kinds of things. You just by faith believe God's going to bless those who bless Israel or curse those who curse Israel. It's the same kind of reason I'm pro-family. One man, one woman for life. That's the ideal. I know not everybody has that ideal. Not everybody experiences that ideal. You may not even believe that idea, but that's what God's truth says is the ideal. One man, one woman in holy matrimony. And that's the, the cornerstone, if you will, the key to society is right there. A father and a mother and a family, whatever, whether a biological or adopted, whatever it may be, that is the, that's the core of the society. And we've, tried to, we've been told a lot of different other reasons why that should be completely obliterated, but that's what God's standard is. And for some of us who are still trying to raise up this standard, it sounds maybe even archaic. But it's, it's God's structure that we're trying to support, uphold, defend, preach. It's a similar reason for, for why I am pro-life. It's not necessarily because, I mean, I don't start with this place of, you know, you don't, um, you don't care about women or you don't care. It's like, I don't even start there. My starting point is, what does God say? Where, do, what is, where does life begin? And then when you get that, it's like, okay, I'm going to uphold things that, that matter to God. And if, I, if we can uphold things that matter to God, then we honor him. And I think when we honor, when, the reason that we believe these things is because not of a, do I understand about all the problems that, yes, I understand the problems. Do I understand how the, they're all going to be solved? No, I don't. Rape, incest, all those things. I, but here's what I believe is when you put God first, he'll help you figure out all the rest. It's very similar in giving. You give God, you give to God, it doesn't make any sense to give. You give to God and he's going to make your money stretch more. How's this work? On the natural line that's like, well, I, I can't explain it. But anytime you put God's first, your time, your talent, your resources, somehow he makes everything else work. It's the, it's the journey that we have by faith. And when we hold up God's ideals and God's standards, that's the idea. Um, not because anybody wants ill or wish ill or on anybody else. It's simply saying we believe God's truth and we're doing the very best we can to make that Number one in our lives, and number one in our in our uh, in our decision making, in our beliefs. Today, I want to take you to Matthew chapter sixteen. This is a place where Jesus asks a question that I think he's probably still asking 
us today? I think it's a question that comes out of the questions that, I, that I've just been asking. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 is where I want to start. Follow along with me. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples. Now, don't, don't miss this. He took them a long way out of the way. Yeah, thanks, you guys, for bringing Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. The uh, host will give you one. Um, he's going a long way out of the way before he heads to Jerusalem. He's going the complete north end of the, the district to explain to something, ask them a question in the face of Caesarea Philippi, where these pan gods have been worshipped. And he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say you're John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, here's the question, but who do you say that I am? You know, talk about the uh, dramatic, you know, in the backdrop of all this pan worship, he asked them this question, who do you say that I am? Do you think I'm one of these kind of gods that has to be, you have to have this sacrifice to throw your children to this sacrificial system? Do you think I'm that kind of God? Because he's getting ready to tell them that he's headed to Jerusalem to be a completely different kind of God, a God that comes and dies for us. A God that says, I came to give you life and give it to you abundantly. That's his desire. That's when you look at his face. That's his desire. We have this, live in this world that has sin and death and it's all that's in there. But if you could just look at his face, I can tell you what he wants you to know is I love you. I'm a God of love. I'm good. I'm just. You got to trust. We're living in an evil world. We live in an evil day. Look into my face. I'm here. I care. I love. That's, that's the message I think he's trying to say. And he's asking them this question. Who do you say that I am? Do you think I'm one of these gods that desires this kind of pagan idolatry and pagan um, prostitution to appease? No, quite the opposite. But he's asking them this question. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonas, what that means. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. They were standing, what is called or known that day as the gates of hell. And they would, they, that water would bubble up and come back down and it would gush out down and going down to the stream. And it was a, really, it's an amazing area. Even today, it's a long way past. It still doesn't do that kind of, of surging like it used to, but it's still an amazing, beautiful, lush area in that tribe, in that northern area called the tribe of Dan, where this, all this pagan worship took place. And that's the place he chose. He, he hiked a long way. I would say about 30 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is way, quite a ways north. To ask him this question. Who do you say that I am? Can you put God's truth above everything else that you see in this world? Or are you kind of mixing them? That's what he came to ask him. And I think that's what he's come to ask you and me as well. Can you see God's goodness? Can you see God's love? 
Can you see God's justice? Can you see God's truth through your circumstances? That's the question. Because circumstances can get right in our face and cloud everything we think. And we start thinking, God's not good. I'm not sure if God's love. I'm not sure I matter to God. This message is one that's trying to just convince you that you do matter. First of all, I want you to know that truth matters. I think that's the reason he went clear up there is that because truth matters and he wanted to know what they believed about him, the truth. He is the way, he is the truth. And he wanted to know, what, did you th- what do you think of me? Who do you say that I am? Proverbs 23, 23 says this, buy truth and do not sell it. It's an interesting, buying truth, it means it's an imperative. It means it's like a command, go and buy truth. It would be that the force of it. Um, I, as I read this, I, I read it several times this week and it finally dawned on me. It's like, I was kind of glad that we spent the money we did on seminary. It was an expensive time, but I'm just like, buy truth and don't sell it. Go. What, what I learned in seminary is a lot, but one of the things I learned that there's a lot of scholarship behind the words in this book. These aren't just words spoken that were just written down that was, I mean, you, there's divine inspiration here. There is, there was testing of these words, they, how they found them in different places and different locations and, and cross-check them. And it's like, this is a, this is a lot of scholarship. The fact that these books that we read, it's not just uh, stories that were passed down mouth to mouth. A lot of scholarship behind it. And it was worth everything for me to be able to go and study under people that spend their life digging into the authority and the truth of this book. And so he says, buy truth. It's like, well, there was a good thing. If you're if you're contemplating maybe taking a, something online or a, it's like, do it, buy truth. Go, go find people that can really teach you and ex- explain to you why this truth is true. Truth. Buy truth and don't sell it. Sell it's an interesting word. That the Hebrew has their own nuances and verbs. The Hebrew word there is an imperfect verb, which means it's like, it's like halfway. It's not, it's not completed. And what he's basically saying by having it being a perfect verb is that buy truth, that's a command, being perfect, don't sell it means, not, don't sell it today, don't sell it ever. Always keep it imperfect. Never sell this truth. In other words, never get rid of this truth. Even your circumstances, when they don't line up like you, you would think, never sell this truth. Never sell out. Never give in. Never give up. Keep upholding and believing and trusting. That's what Proverbs 23 is, is pointing is true to. And what are the truth? The truth I've already told you. God is good and God is love. God is just. He's righteous. He's holy. He's in heaven. We're on earth. So let our words be few. God is the potter. And we are the clay. It's a different approach to God when you believe these truths. You take your circumstances and you say, God, my circumstances don't make any sense. Somehow, I'm going to look and I'm going to try to see your face. And if you can do that, I can tell you, you can go through those doors that he's kicked down. You're going to be able to to speak to some people that have had these things in their life and you're going to see strength that you know that man doesn't come up with that strength on their own. That's, a, that's God putting that strength in there. There's God putting that hope in there. I know I will see my child again. I know she had a purpose. 
doesn't answer all the questions, but it answers enough of them to, for life to go on and to know that mom and dad matter, know that their daughter matters to God. The second thing I want you to see is that the truth matters to God. You know, the tr- a lot of times people say, well, I, why doesn't he do something about it? If, if, if my life matters to God, why doesn't he do something? Why doesn't he answer this question that, it's, that I've been begging him to answer? And the, really the answer is he has. He has heard your cry and he has answered. It's called the atonement. It's basically what God has done for us. Spurgeon said this about the doctrine of the atonement. He said this, the doctrine of the atonement is to my mind one of the surest proofs of the divine inspiration of Holy Scripture. So what is this atonement? To, to look at, at it loosely, atonement is a reparation for a wrong or an injury. And in sentence, it would sound like this. She wanted to make atonement for her husband's behavior. A reparation, a payment, if you will, for the, for the behavior. If you look at Webster's definition of the atonement, I, I was fascinated with this one. Reparation for an offense or an injury, but also satisfaction. A story of sin and atonement. God made a way to make atonement for man's sins and to reconcile man to God through the death of his son on the cross. That's Webster. That's pretty good. He ought to write a book. (laughs) This idea that this atonement, that that the sacrifice that, that God himself in Christ did for us is the atoning, substitutionary death on the cross that satisfied God's wrath towards sin. So he has done something. And we still live in a sinful world. We're not in heaven. We're not in glory yet. But he has made a way. He's made it possible for us to have peace and hope in the midst of our, of our circumstances. And when you go and cling to it, everything you've got to him and look for those doors to be knocked down and look at him right in the face, you're going to see a face that says, I love you. And I'm good and I'm just. and I'm, so I know you don't understand this now, but trust me. That's how we do it. That's, that's, the, that's the journey of life and it's the difficulty of our circumstances. And I know these circumstances are real and I know they can leave these wounds. I've got one more I want to share with you. But this is the one where I just want you to know, and I think God would want you to know from this truth series is that you matter to God. Here's what, here's what Jesus told Peter at this particular time. He says, and I tell you, Peter, that you are... The, you are um, on this rock, I will build my church. Now, don't forget where they're standing. They're standing right in front of the gates of Lindor, the gates of hell, on that big rock cliff at Caesarea Philippi. He's standing there with his disciples making this point. There's probably temple sacrifice. There's probably a sacrificial system going on behind him. And he's making this point to his disciples. And he says, I tell you, you are Peter. After Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, he said, I tell you, you are Peter. And upon this rock, and I think he pointed to that big rock, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This idea that he has for the church is a a marvelous plan. 
And he was laying some of the foundation stones, if you will. And it wasn't, I don't believe it was Peter that he was, that was the rock, but I think his faith, that's the rock he was talking about. He said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. You guys aren't going to believe what's going to come down the pike. And here we are 2,000 years later, still assembling. Still, there's a few of us still holding this word up. Still saying that this is the way, this is the truth. He is the way, he's the truth, he's the life. That's the idea that he had and that was, that is his church. Now, I preached this sermon about a month ago, not this one particular. Last week's sermon, um, I preached basically all of that sermon at Rock Creek. Rock Creek is the church that uh, Mary Kay and I started um, 25 years ago, down in Superior, Colorado, Boulder County. Um, and uh, we, we tried to establish this uh, three acres of land in Superior, and we took a video, and I had a cross up there for crying out loud, and a whole bunch of people did a fabulous job on the video. I mean, it was like, this was like technology 25 years ago, and I was, it was amazing. And we said, you know, I read this passage, that we believe that God is has given us this property and we're going to, that he will establish his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. I actually said it on tape. I've got it copied. And the thing that kind of hurt, it's kind of left a wound in me is that I'd have to say that when the, the city basically said, we're not going to allow you to build, is that seven years of struggle? They said, nope, we're not going to let you build a church here. And they pounded the fist on the table. There will not be a church in Superior, Colorado. As we were done. And I, I've preached this passage before and I've, I've gone through circumstances before and I've talked about circumstances and way down deep in this soul of mine, I've got this question. And I bet you've got a question way down deep in your soul as well, if you'll be honest. But here was my question. I'd say, yes, Lord, I believe you're powerful. I believe you're good. I believe you're love. And I believe you're just. I believe all these things. But I got this one question. I, I believe that, they, that we would you would establish your church here and the gates of hell would not prevail. I believed it. Put it on video for crying out loud. And the gates of hell kicked us in the teeth. And I've lived with that for 25 years until a month ago. Now we did get uh, five acres of land. We had a building, 6,000 6, uh, square feet of building, which isn't small. It's small. It's not very big. And we had a church and got it established, but I still had this little wound in my soul of just saying, yeah, but didn't, didn't quite work out. I guess it worked out, sort of. You know, we uh, took that offering for, uh, for Rock Creek during Christmas. If you're a part of that, we sent them a, a $20,000 gift, and it was going to help them because they were getting ready to expand. And I knew that, you know, if you're going to expand in Boulder County, it's going to take everything you've got because you've got a city council to get through, and they are not easy to negotiate. I will just tell you, we tried it, uh, well, tried it, lost in Superior. We were trying in Louisville, and you could see that this was going to be really, really difficult. And I told him, I said, man, I hope you get along better than we did. I'll definitely be praying for you. Here's a gift you can help you, and blah, blah, blah. And I preached this sermon that I preached last week. I preached it there. Um, because what had happened is he told me some things that transpired. He says, hey, I just want you to know we may not be using that $20,000 to build on. We are actually, there's another church just about a mile away that they have 30 people in a three times the size of building, 
twice as many acres. They got this amazing, beautiful campus. They've only got 30 people in it. And they came to us and said, hey, we got a building and you got people. Why don't we get together and make this thing work? And the building's paid for. That property that Rock Creek's sitting on, I think it's worth like $3.5 million. They could take that into a building that's completely paid for and you could buy a lot of paint with that, you know? Well, I'm, I'm not kidding you. I'm watching this like, you really think this could happen? And long story short, guys, it's happening. They're a month in now. Um, and, uh, well, he told me about this whole thing. And I, I was preaching the sermon that I preached last week down there. And I, the application was, I believe that I could almost hear Jesus snorting and getting up and saying, guys, I've had enough. I've had enough of the hoops that the city is going to put you through. I've had enough of those impossible brick walls that you're going to bang your head against. And he put these two churches together. One needing people, one needing a building. It's the most beautiful thing. As I was sitting there and I was actually preaching this and talking about it, of course, everybody clapped and they heard me talk about this. And then it, it just dawned on me that that wound that I had way down deep in my soul, that yeah, but... The gates of hell kicked us in the teeth. Do you realize Jesus just kicked that door down? Now, it wasn't on my time frame. That's the hard part. I was wanting it to be when I asked it. It was 15 years later. They're, they're 25 years this year, and he kicked that door down. But he did kick that door down. And these two churches are, I mean, they are, have blended together so well and so beautifully it's like there's no way churches get along that well ever this got to be of God and it's just absolutely the most beautiful thing and in my soul I just think wow I've got a brand new strength that I didn't even know I had I didn't even know I needed listen when you when, when God kicks those doors down you can see his face and I could see just what you were saying Carly I want you to see my face I, that I love you I care for you I love my church. I care for her. I'm good. I am love. I am just. I don't care what your circumstances are. If you can just see his face and trust his voice and trust his word. That's what we're doing in this series. Even when it doesn't make sense to, to make this number one and just see if God won't answer all those other questions. Circumstances can really cloud us. And I'm begging you to not let your circumstances cloud the fact that God is love and God loves you and you matter to God. Father in heaven, I bet there's somebody in this room that's saying, yeah, but. And I, I know that. I've, I've done that myself. But God, maybe that, maybe they could look for a door that's been kicked down. Maybe they could peek out that door and see your face and understand that they do matter. Even though their circumstances don't make any sense, God, that, that they matter to you. And God, I pray that you would help us to make your word matter in this world and trust you even when circumstances are really hard to understand. Lord, I lift you to lift the lift this truth to you, lift this series to you. I pray that it would have a, a ripple effect in our souls. I pray this in Jesus' name.